and welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to make realistic improvements in their lives and reach their goals, however big or small. We are building a community of men and women who love to push themselves to overcome obstacles and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. I have to tell you that we have been growing so much because of you. Every week, more people are listening in. And by the time this airs, we should have almost 32,000 downloads in just the few months we've been doing this. And And it really is all thanks to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you didn't catch last week's episode with Amber from Biceps After Babies, do yourself a favor and check it out. It was such a fun one to record. I've included the link to that podcast in the show notes. Also in the show notes, I have links to my website, Instagram, and Facebook if you'd like to see more from me. I have a short do something highlight for you after the interview, so stay tuned for that. Today we are listening to an interview I did with one of my oldest and dearest friends, Catherine Arnold Luce. After high school, Catherine left our small town in Farmington, Utah, and headed east to study at a small liberal arts college followed by a master's degree at Yale. Despite being a brainiac herself, Catherine really struggled with imposter syndrome while attending these high-stress, achievement-oriented programs. To top it off, she faced big obstacles in her family, including a spinal cord injury of her only brother. Because of all the stress and self-doubt, Catherine struggled to meet the standards she had set for herself. Instead of feeling like a failure, Catherine chose to accept these years for what they were, And she allowed them to shape her into a more resilient woman. For Catherine, this entailed being brave enough to confront the external pressures that were trying to pigeonhole her into a certain career track. Instead, Catherine found a career that is like her, fascinating, multi-interest based, and always changing. Oh, and you also have to hear what Catherine says kindles her perfectionism and an interesting antidote she found for that problem. Let's go on to the interview. All right, I'm here with Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. I'm really glad you would agree to do this. I'm one by one picking off all my friends to be interviewed on the show, but oh, I think you have I'm a lot to, to be add. here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited Thank for you. people to get to know you, Catherine. So, can you give us a little introduction to yourself? Sure. Um, as Monica said, my name is Catherine Arnold Luce, and I currently live in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, with my husband, Micah, and our cat, Savannah. Uh, Micah and I met when I was a student at Yale Divinity School, pursuing my master's degree in theology and the arts. And uh, since then, we've gotten married, and we both work for Yale University in different capacities. Um, I worked for four years at the Institute of Sacred Music, and now I'm working with the Department of European Art at the Yale University Art Gallery, which is one of the um, really it's one of the top university-owned collections in the world, um, and it's a really exciting new position that, I've, that I got in the fall. Um, so I do a lot of things there. I facilitate exhibitions. I do some publications and research, some educational programming. Um, but most, for the most part, I've been excited about um, the fact that I get to hang out with just really incredible works of art every day. Um, but in on the off hours when I'm not working, um, I love to do yoga. I love to hike and be outdoors, uh, play soccer, and I mostly just love to spend my time with my friends and family. So we met in junior high in band class. You play the French horn. You're also a pianist and a singer. But I don't think we would have thought as 12-year-olds in Farmington, Utah, that you would one day be back east going to all these amazing colleges and then, I mean, taking on this incredible career. And you've just really taken on such a beautiful, rich life. And I, I think that started with like after high school, I think your life is where you really just took this whole path to where you are now. So I would like you to to share about the path your life took right after high school. And I don't want you to be humble about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I do think that it started when we were ninth grade cheerleaders together. I think that really, 
you know, was set, set, set the course of acceleration, if you will. But, that um, was the hinge. <laughs> that was the, the turning point. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I graduated, you know, after graduating from high school, I decided um, that I wanted to sort of go far away for college. And so mm-hmm. I, I attended a small liberal arts college um, just outside of Boston called Gordon College. Um, it was smaller than my high school, and um, but it was a really a really sweet place where I met a lot of really wonderful people. And um, I entered as a music major in French horn performance. And um, in my second year, I decided to add a biblical studies major. And I think I just I wanted to be able to take advantage of the fact that um, Gordon was a was a Christian college and just really understand the Bible and its history and um, kind of explore theology. And in the process, I um, just, I spent a year living in Oxford as a, as a a broad program. And I became really fascinated with this intersection of theology, music, and the arts, and the way that um, art and music and theology can sort of open up, open us up to maybe understanding theology and faith and um, worship in, in different ways. And so, um, to make a long story short, uh, those kind of academic and artistic and um, kind of spiritual interests led me to apply to this program at Yale called the Institute of Sacred Music. Hmm. That was kind of this interdisciplinary graduate center that kind of looks at these connections between music, worship, and the arts. And it was sort of the perfect program for me. And it allowed me to participate as a musician in a lot of different ensembles and to sing with a lot of different choirs and um, kind of still still be performing at a really high level, but um, it gave me a chance to take classes in, um, you know, looking at the Psalms as both literature and music, looking at visual art, um, and just to be with a, a community of people who were doing all sorts of different things and it was, I really, I grew a lot during that time and I really, yeah, it just, it was sort of the perfect place for me. Oh, and I, and I guess, um, after I graduated, I, I worked at the Institute for, for four years and there I sort of got to help, help facilitate some small exhibitions there. And I got to recruit and work with students and that all kind of fostered this desire for me to, um, apply for a PhD work in theology and the arts. And so I applied and I, there was this one particular program that I was just so excited to apply to. And it was the only place I applied and I didn't get in. Mm. So it was, um, it was, you know, kind of a, kind of a turning point and having to kind of come to grips with, you know, the, the, the odds that I wasn't going to get in and all of that, um, feeling like I'd set myself up, for disappointment and mm. um and so but it in in the end I think it's you know a couple of years out it's it's worked out and it's you know I I love the job that I have right now and um and and being able to kind of sit with the questions of what do I want to do and who am I and what am I bringing into this potential program really kind of has helped focus um my interests in and what what do I care about, and how how do I um, engage with certain kinds of material, and um, so on and so forth, and and so I wouldn't be kind of working with the gallery and with the art in the way that I had had I not kind of gone through the process of applying in the first place. So these these programs, so Gordon College, Yale. Those seem so high pressure. I mean, obviously you're brilliant, but you are surrounded by brilliance and you're surrounded by people who are probably overachievers. Is that right? Oh, uh, I think definitely. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. stereotype, yeah. but it, it sounds like it would be really, really hard. I, I want to hear what, mm. what those years were like for you being in such high pressure environments. Yeah. Um, it's i think i think like any situation if you're coming into it and feeling kind of insecure or feeling like you yourself like you don't belong there it can sort of reinforce your 
perception of, of what that is. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, definitely um, Yale prides itself on kind of drawing the best of the best and, you know, having the, having everything that they do be sort of demonstrated excellence and pioneer breakthrough research and, you know, the best, the best music and the best art and the best, this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an exciting place to be for sure. And, you know, being in class with professors who, you know, have, have literally written a book on this, that, and the other thing is, it's really, is really um, an incredible opportunity. And I don't know, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how I got, how I got there. It's, you know, it's just sort of, it's sort of worked itself out, but I um, definitely, definitely felt from the, from the moment I arrived that there was, there was, there was a lot of pressure and that mm. everyone around me um, sort of seemed like they were, you know, knew exactly what next steps they were going to take and had all of their courses planned out, you know, for the next three years, two to three years. And, and knew exactly what kind of jobs they were going to get afterwards and or they were going to go on and get their PhD and get the tenure track position to be the professor. And, um, and that wasn't me. That wasn't kind of how I was coming into it. I, I was really sort of, um, I was excited to dive into these questions and excited to learn. And, um, but I, I definitely, but encountering questions of, you know, oh, well, are you, going to be a music minister or are you going to be a pastor or are you going to, you're going to do your PhD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of assumptions that people made about, about me that, um, that I just, I wasn't in a position to kind of answer to what I felt like was going to be satisfying for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for a lot of times, I think a lot of times it's, it's the pressure is both self-imposed, but it reinforces itself because there are only certain kinds of questions being asked here. Hmm. And um, my undergraduate, my, my undergraduate college, I was really grateful to go there because it was, it was small and it was really, it was, it was really a place where they were concerned about, um, you know, kind of both, both your academic kind of knowledge and making sure that you learn to think well, um, but it wasn't so much, it was also about like who you were becoming as a person and, and how you were arriving at certain conclusions and how you, you know, how to think about things that were really complicated, you know, from, from a lot of different perspectives. And, and interestingly enough, kind of being at Yale, um, I didn't, I didn't often find that kind of emphasis. Oh, really? I, there were, (laughs) there was, there were, um, a lot of professors who had, you know, who had built their entire reputation off of a certain way of interpreting, you know, their particular area, whether Mm -hmm. it was literature, whether it was biblical studies, whether it was theology. And, and so in, in certain ways there was, there was less room for kind of questioning certain things or Hmm. um, evaluating multiple perspectives as it was, Sometimes, and this was not all. This was not the case for all of my courses, but, um, but for kind of them making sure that we knew that we needed to think about it the way that they were thinking about it, because oh, wow. they clearly were. They, you know, I don't know. Hmm. So, um, so that was kind of an interesting. That was an interesting confrontation, hmm. and um, and then the the other thing I would kind of say about the the pressure, I guess, if you will was just that there there are the people who were in classes with me and who were part of my you know who were in the divinity school with me um, are just are absolutely incredible and mm. they've they're coming from all different all different perspectives all different walks of life and have so so much you know wonderful experience to bring to the questions that they're asking and so I think at times that was really exciting and I have, you know, some of my best friends are Divinity School alums and, um, and other times it was really confronting because I think there, there is a tendency to, to even if you don't know everything can, to kind of act like, Oh yeah, I've, I've mm. got the answer. I know it. And, and to not show vulnerability in your, in your yeah. questioning. And so um, that was, that definitely, 
then made me feel like, oh no, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't, I don't have these issues all wrapped up. Um, and so I better not say anything because I don't, you know, I, I think there's some self-selecting and kind of saying, oh, I don't know. So I better, or this person has conducted, you know, the Berlin Philharmonic. And so I definitely am not as good a musician as they are. And, um, so it, 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 it makes you grow a lot. Um, Sounds like but a I think constant it wasn't always mind com- trip. Wasn't always, <laughs> yeah, wasn't always comfortable. And um, mm-hmm. they, they talk a lot here about what um, what they call imposter syndrome, which is mm-hmm. everybody everybody dealing with this with this idea that someone someone somewhere is going to find out that that like they're an imposter, mm-hmm. and that they they'll that they'll call you out on it and they'll say you don't belong here, you know you shouldn't have gotten in and you don't know what you're talking about. And so this, there's this whole there's this whole game of trying to make sure that nobody finds out that you don't know anything. I see, yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So it, it it was that was definitely something that we that people talked about and you joked about, but I think secretly you also were like, I really believe that too. Like, <laughs> you yeah, know, singing I really in choir. Am. And, I am. Yeah, I'm... it was like, was like, no, oh. I'm actually the imposter. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's a funny, it's a mm. funny place. And, um, you know, an Ivy league education is, is amazing in, in some ways. And I think, you know, like anything else has its limitations, um, because you're, you're in a, a like-minded community. And, um, so, so certain things are, are challenging and, and then other times, you know, the, the fact that the only option that people gave me for a career was either to do a PhD and become, you know, a theology professor or to um, become the best musician that I could yeah. to be a professional, you know, soloist. Hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's limiting yeah. and it's just not, it's not true to, you know, the richness of our human experience. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to cast any blame on, <laughs> um, you know, my, my, my institution and my professors and advisors, but um that's their world and they're, you know, that's, that's what they inhabit. And so that's their measure of excellence. And so it was harder to kind of discern, um, kind of, yeah, where, where do my strengths lie and where are some opportunities to, to plug in and, um, yeah. And pursue, pursue a career and pursue a vocation that is, that will be meaningful and fruitful for me. Wow, I'm just thinking about how easy it would be to be um, to be swept up in that way of thinking the the limits that you're talking about those achievement limits. Um, mm. So I want to know more mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. that. First, I want to know how were you able to still be you? How were you able to still be Catherine? <laughs> but I also want to talk about how that affected you um, and how you Mm. might have Mm -hmm. struggled in viewing yourself. So you were still Catherine through that all, but I'm sure you struggled. (laughs) You struggled to hold on to that. So I'm sure there was a lot of pushback internally about, Mm. well, am I really, I mean, should I be doing what they're saying I should be doing or should I be going to this many more years of school because everybody else is. So so if you can tell more. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's definitely like anything you can get caught up in, in pursuing whatever, whatever this dream is, whatever this ideal is and, um, and, and it will never be enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, I think I was, I was glad to have a really, a really strong group of friends, um, from, from college, um, who were still kind of close by. And so I got to see them a lot. Um, and I think that there, that was, that was extremely important, um, for me to be able to have, you know, friends at school and friends nearby, um, who, who knew exactly who I was and who, who I knew cared for me, um, really deeply. And, you know, we could, we could just like hash out, you know, our frustrations and our concerns and our, and our struggles. Um, and, and I had really wonderful people in my program, um, who were, who were kindred spirits and we could sort of wrestle with these, um, with these questions and with the pressure and, um, not feel like we were competing directly with each other. And so that, that was huge. Yeah. And, um, you were allowed you know, to and, be vulnerable and, with them. It sounds like not as, as much in your, 
in your program, but with your friends, you were allowed that Mm -hmm. freedom. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And, and I have two really good friends who were sort of a year or two ahead of me in, in their programs. And so, you know, they could be sort of a voice of reassurance that, you know, like, you know, this will be okay. You know, your, your second year is always really hard and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um, and, and in the, and in the, the good moments to be able to just sit back and kind of say, wow, I'm, I'm singing with this choir that, you know, we're, we're performing, we're performing at Juilliard. We're touring Italy with the St. Matthew Passion and I get to, I get to do this. And, and in the moments that, you know, where I wasn't sort of trying to sing as quietly as possible so that no one would discover that like I shouldn't be there, (laughs) you know, to be able to, to, to kind of release into that, um, and just enjoy it. Um, you know, or when you're, when you're diving into a particular paper and just sort of delighting in, in the material itself, you know, those, those are the best moments. And, um, and really just sort of saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe, I can't believe I get to do this. This is, this is crazy. You know, (laughs) um, that was like sanity keeping, um, yeah. And how did you you do that? Was that just you? Like, was that you recentering yourself or, or, or was that also your friends who were helping you keep that perspective? I think, I think a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. And, And I think, you know, I, I also should give credit to, you know, both of my parents for never, never making me feel like I, needed to be doing, you know, one thing or another. And I, mm. I think my, my mom was always really good at saying, you know, if you're excited about something, you know, go for it mm-hmm. and, and really embrace it and take joy in that. And so, um, yeah. And, in and, you know, just being around people who are, who are talking about really exciting things, you're, you know, you're just, there's so much growth that's happening in your you know, you're exhausted and you're, you know, there's that sort of, you know, you're just being inundated with, with really rich material all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that can be energizing in and of itself and kind of override the moments where you're just like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I think about this. I don't understand any of it, or I'm writing this paper and it's terrible. Um, and so, so that was sort of, yeah, I think a real, I don't know if that, you know, if that was me or if that was just sort of the ability to sort of say, okay, wait, hold on. <laughs> Reality check. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. this is, this is really cool. Yeah. And so don't, don't waste time feeling, feeling inadequate and miss, miss the fact that you're, you know, that there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot um, of really good things here. Oh, I love how you were able to shift that perspective. I'm sure that was very hard earned. Um, I want to know about the low points that maybe taught you that important lesson of just embracing, <laughs> embracing it for what it was and also accepting yourself in the process, not, not giving in to the pressure to be forced to accommodate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've, in some ways there's, there's been a lifelong sort of struggle for me um, to sort of settle on the one thing that I'm interested in or, you know, when people ask, Oh, what do you, you know, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. I've always kind of had a really wide variety of interests and, and that's been, that's been fun, but it's also been, it's been frustrating at times. Mm-hmm. And when I was, before I, when I was trying to think about what, I, where I wanted to go to graduate school, it was sort of, do I want to, do I want to, audition for conservatory programs in central and performance, or do I want to do this program? And, and feeling like <laughs> whenever people would ask me, you know, Oh, what do you want to do? And I would say, well, I kind of want maybe do this or do this mm-hmm. or something like that. Feeling sort of like there was always a response of like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and, and, and so having to um, come to terms with the fact that, a lot of people have really linear, linear narratives and really exciting projects that they, they kind of know that they're going to do from the time they, you know, enter high school or start college and, and they're able to just sort of take those next steps. And (laughs) that just hasn't been. And, and so Hmm. in moments where they say, well, if you're going to do a PhD, then you, you have to be able to focus on this one question for, you know, 
the next seven years. Yeah, and, and then that some, right? Felt, it could become your yeah, specialty. And then, yeah, and they were like, and if not, well, then, you know, you just shouldn't, you know, it's not for you. Hmm. Or you have to just want to practice the French horn for the rest of your life, or <laughs> you just shouldn't do it. Um, huh. And that always just, that always felt like a really insufficient answer. That's daunting, um, too. Yeah, and, and, um, kind of just incomplete. And hmm. I wanted to say, I want, you know, that, that sort of question of like, I want to have it all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is, is sort of, it's not, it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish, I, I think that there were, there were low, a lot of kind of low points of feeling like, why, why do I care about, why do I care about, you know, literature and music and singing and um education or and why do I you know why why do I also love to just be outside and Mm. hike and camp and Mm -hmm. um and and that sounds you know it's like I'm not trying to be like fish for compliments or anything it's just I think um having to sort of sit with that and um not view it as well you just aren't disciplined enough Hmm. Or you just aren't whatever. You're not focused enough, or you just, you know, you're you're gonna just have to choose at some point and live with it. Um, I think that that led to a lot of really um, negative thinking and um, just sort of ineffective, <laughs> yeah, um, ineffective thinking. And so, yeah, um, there are a lot of there. I kind of left divinity school. Um, not feeling really proud of a lot of how I, of, you know, I didn't, I don't feel like I did my best work there. Mm. I, you know, it just, it, it was, it was, it was hard. And I think encountering a really hyper-specialized environment, being a sort of Jane of all trades, yeah. <laughs> feeling like a master of none. Um, I think I ended up being like, oh man, well, kind of like, you know, leaving with my tail between my legs, feeling like, mm. well, I, you know, that wasn't, not, it wasn't the place for me, but I, I, I was not, I was not the best. I was not the brightest. I was not the most, oh. you know, achieving person there. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it, that, that I think would maybe be the, the low points or, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, I think it also being confronted with that, well, are you going to, are you going to specialize or not? And um, having to sort of embrace sort of for, for better or for worse, this is who I am. And I could, you know, not getting into a PhD program was maybe a good thing to happen to me Mm. because it's, I think you can do a lot of things and, and be fine. Um, but also, but also miss out on other aspects of, of life and, um, and things that are kind of more innate in my temperament. Like I, I love people. I love being with people. I will choose being with people over sitting in a library by myself mm-hmm. almost every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and rather than seeing that as sort of a weakness and saying, well, you just, you know, you're not driven enough to say this, this is where I can focus my, this is where I can focus my attention in a way that won't feel like I'm, perpetually fighting against myself. Um, what pushed you yeah, toward that no. perspective, Catherine? <laughs> what helped you see what really counted in those, in those little moments? Um, well, I, I mean, I think in certain, in certain ways it was, um, you know, during the, the whole time that I was in school, there were, you know, there was the academic pressures and all that happening. Um, but then there was just sort of, a lot of weird kind of coinciding, um, you know, kind of personal, personal instances. Um, my, my brother, my, my last year of college, um, my younger brother had a spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. And so that, um, you know, and that I was in the midst of trying to apply for these programs and, mm-hmm. um, and then, and he's, he's my only brother and, um, people told us he was never going to walk again. And, mm-hmm. um, it was, you know, that, that was, that was hard. And in the moment, I don't, I don't think I, you know, was aware of, of how much that was really, you know, not that it, I, I knew it was painful. I knew it was hard. Um, 
but it just it, it just sort of clouds your ability to to be functioning at a hundred percent and um and then right before I started school there was a you know I had a I had to have surgery and there was a, some health things that were going on and mm. um yeah and so there was just some sort of personal complications that um I think a lot of people experience that you know it's not I'm not alone in in those things um but I think the the degree to which that kind of clouds your season of of life um sort of it both in 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 really good ways it reminds you of what's important and what matters at mm-hmm. the end of the day um but I think it also you you don't realize when you're in it probably for a good reason you know um how much your how much um what's the word your 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 tank isn't full your yeah. ability to your ability to receive and and relate and um, you know, be, be open to the world is, is compromised. And, um, so, and, and on, on a lighter note and on, on a, on a happier note, it's also where I met, uh, met my husband. And Mm -hmm. I just, I think if I had, if I had failed out of divinity school and never, like, never done anything, um, the rest of my life, you know, it just, it, it would have been worth it to have, to have met him. And he's, he's somebody who, um, has, has just been such a, such a great perspective, um, to mm-hmm. have and to, you know, somebody who's a, a cheerleader who, who, um, can really just be, be an ally, be a friend, be, um, somebody who, who I know cares about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can trust that he, that he loves me and, um, in the moments where I am frustrated with myself or, you know, feeling self-doubtful or self-critical. If I think, well, I, I love this person and they, they don't see me that way. And so I can try and choose to see myself the way that he sees me. And, um, you know, and, and yeah, so I think that that's, you know, all of those sorts of that little tapestry of, um, relationships and, mm-hmm. um, kind of other things just has, you know, really, is a, is a big part of coming to terms with, um, you know, for better or for worse. Um, my, yeah, my, my time in, my time in divinity school and beyond. It's a, it seems like it was a, a time of, oh, you know, they say purifying fire. I mean, it was a double edged sword, <laughs> right? On one hand, you felt mm. like you were limited in, and how you were able to, what you were able to take to the table versus maybe your mm-hmm. normal self who wasn't going through a lot personally. But on the other hand, it's what made you still be Catherine at the end of that. And mm-hmm. it enabled you to have the perspective you needed to hold on to what mattered more to you than maybe titles or degrees um, mm-hmm. and achievements. And, and of course, Micah, which is the cherry on top. I, I mean, Micah is so <laughs> great. So, um, and I love that you I credit think he's him. Great. Yeah, he he is mm. amazing. But you credit people. That's what I love about <laughs> you too. Like you you, you oh, credit thanks. people for helping you through those things. So that's what's tricky about life, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hard times. You know, I think about I think about oh man, if I could just if I could go down if I could go back and you know do that program all over again, like I do it so well because mm-hmm. you know yeah I can I've I've learned and. It would be so awesome, but I think I think it's it's important to kind of just say that that season was a season of growth and a season mm. of um, you know it wasn't it wasn't as I, I don't think about it in as like happy of terms as I as sure. I think about you know college or even high school, mm-hmm. um, but it it really sort yeah it, I think there was so much growth. Um, you know, and so much joy that has emerged from it. Um, my, my brother, my brother is walking again Mm -hmm. and, you know, he walked me down the aisle at, at at my wedding Mm -hmm. and, you know, it, there's, there's, you know, and I think like as somebody who has perfectionistic tendencies, um, the ability to let a season that was difficult, just be, just be that and say, that was hard. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I am, but I, you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm stronger on the other side of it. And, um, and I'm so grateful for, yeah, just for what, for what life has, has brought. 
um, that I not that I wouldn't trade it, but I yeah I can I can see kind of just yeah the strength of that yield. Oh wow, that's giving me a lot to think about. You know, just with <laughs> with life in general. I mean, it's not like we would choose that over again, but we're mm-hmm. grateful for the act the outcome of it. Seems like you're valuing it for what it needed to be that time and season for you. You talked about perfectionism, so let's talk about that a little bit more. (laughs) Since you brought it up, between being a musician, a scholar, a theologian, as I say that, theologian, an Ivy League graduate, (laughs) and living in a space, well, you live in a really, a place that's really, um, has a lot of pressure, even socially, to achieve perfection, and, you know, let alone being a woman, too, which is especially... (laughs) A, a huge slam to it. I want to know. <laughs> that's important. I want to know about you and perfectionism. So are you a perfectionist? I think I will say yes. Um, I have a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. Um, I think I also kind of in, in my, in my later years um, have realized that I'm also, I think I'm more of a people pleaser than I am a perfectionist. Mm. Um, kind of, if, if left to my own devices, I don't know, I don't know if I would do anything like ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think a lot of times I, um, the thing, it's it's not necessarily that I, I need or want to do something perfectly, mm. um, but it's, it's like, the fear of losing other people's approval mm-hmm. um, that sort of drives me towards, you know, doing something really well so that people will like me. Um, so, oh my goodness, I don't I'm know, so you glad know. you talked about that. <laughs> Isn't it embarrassing it, it, to it, learn it, that about yourself? <laughs> I've been in the it same is. place. It's embarrassing to recognize that in it's yourself. Like, and it's like, I guess, you know, I, and I think this, this sort of sense of like, I don't know if I have intrinsic motivation or not, because hmm. I think I was just, I would be content to just like, in my mind, I would, I'm like, oh yeah, I just, I don't have to do anything like all day, but, but being like, oh my gosh, what will, what will, you know, my professor think if I do a bad job on this uh-huh. paper? It's like, I have to do it, you know, it has to be good. Or what will so-and-so think if I don't, you know, show up for, you know, this thing and, and, and realizing just how much like other, other people's, other people's, what I think other people think of me, um, can like just drive my behavior mm-hmm. is sort of like, Oh, it feels like a double whammy. Cause not only yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I don't even have like, I don't even have intrinsic motivation. And I'm just like so self-conscious that, you know, it's just, it, it's just really silly. I'm laughing cause I can relate, you know? I really can relate to all of that. So well, I don't I know. So you recognizing, have to laugh, right? yeah, you have to laugh. I think recognizing that though is a huge first step. You know, just owning like, oh crap. Well, that's a part of me that I don't like, but it's there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how have you learned to manage that side of you, that perfectionist side, or the people pleaser side? What have you learned about that in the past? Few yeah. Years? Well, well, I don't. A lot and not a lot. I don't know. Um, I think, um, yeah, having having to sort of um, come to terms with come to terms with that and um, what's the word? Accept it mm-hmm. and forgive myself for it, and then and then to try and kind of move move through it has has been sort of the the goal. Um, and I, I think about my, my best friend and my college roommate, um, who she's, she's, she's just wonderful. I love her. And she has this really incredible ability to sort of embrace everyone and everything around her. Mm -hmm. And she, she is a Harvard, you know, Harvard PhD in chemistry and is just, you know, you know, a, a super kind of achiever person, but she's, um, I think, always been really good at um, never, never seeming sort of threatened or defensive by um, her circumstances. I don't know if that makes mm. sense or not, but she's yeah. just sort of able to take. She's sort of able to like take things in stride and sort of be really kind of joyful and seem really free. Um, mm. 
And, and I was thinking about her, you know, I was at the store and someone was trying to sell me something. And Mm. I just, I always get like, they're like, Oh, do you need any help? And I'm like, no, don't talk to me. Because in my mind, it's like, I don't want you to disapprove of me if I don't want to buy the thing Uh that you are trying to sell me. And so it's just Mm. like, don't like, I can't even go there. And when I, when, you know, someone approaches um, Kathy, she's just like, oh, awesome. This is great. Oh, wow. And like, oh, I don't think I'm going to buy that. But it's, you know, she's just sort of able to just, you know, engage with this person as they are and kind of, you know, it's a silly example, but over the years, um, it's just helped me sort of, um, able to say like if if I don't if I don't see everything as sort of either a threat to my existence or um or as somebody who is going to not like me if I don't do what they want um mm-hmm. if it's if if I can um be centered enough in who I am that that I can you know then nothing can hurt me and no mm-hmm. one you know if someone disapproves of me it doesn't matter and I can I can engage with the world in a way that's just so much more free than a self-conscious perfectionistic people pleaser um and so I don't know she's she's gonna help and I think um I think being married to somebody who um I think is can share some of the my perfectionistic tendencies but also but also not Mm -hmm. I think it, it you know, it's you, when you're when you see somebody displaying the things that you get frustrated about yourself, you can also say, "Hey, just ease up. It's okay." Yeah. Um, and then you can and then you can say, "Oh, if I would say that to this person, then why don't I say it to myself?" Yeah. Um, so it's that's I think maybe been a, a step towards trying to manage that. Um, mm. and probably. I, I don't know. The, the other thing is, is thinking about all the things that I should be doing. And if I, you know, I should, Oh, I really should do this, that, and the other thing. And to sort of say, well, I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> the reality, the reality is, is like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to become a CrossFit person because that's the best, you know, way to exercise or something. Mm-hmm. Like I should probably do it because then I could be really strong and fit and, you know, super functional, but I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And so if I can stop beating myself up about, you know, this or that thing that I think that I should be doing, but that I'm not, Hmm. you know, it's, it's just like, it just frees up much more, a lot more brain space and Mm -hmm. emotional energy to actually be like, okay, what am I doing? And what, what do I want to do? But (laughs) some days are better than others, right? (laughs) I love that you've learned how to be more self-directed and purposeful about what you actually choose to do instead of being, you know, flipped every Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. way, depending on what everyone's Mm -hmm. telling you to do. I I have felt that way about CrossFit too. Isn't that funny? I know that was a funny example, but I'm like, oh, (laughs) me too. I'm always like, oh, I should do CrossFit. (laughs) I know. And like, no offense to CrossFit people. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm just not, I'm like not going to do Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. Um, And that's, and that's like, that doesn't make me... It doesn't make me like a better or a worse person. No, but, but it's you've just, it's what just you like, like. <laughs> yoga and hiking. That's, so That's right. I love that. Um, a little bit of everything. Yeah, a little of everything. <laughs> that that matches your personality. <laughs> That's so, right. <laughs> so one thing I'm afraid about when people listen to these podcasts is, um, I'm afraid of them thinking that we're trying to give the message that you know, if you're trying not to be one that they're bad, if they're a perfectionist, because I think everyone at the heart of them really is a perfectionist in some way or another. But also, I don't want to send the message that you should just not try anything. Just quit. Like, <laughs> just do nothing with your life. Like, that's yeah, not what I'm trying yeah. to say. It's yeah. it's a balance, right? So I want to know mm-hmm. what life looks like for you as someone who's trying not to be led um, by what other people's want for, um, for them being led more mm-hmm. in- internally, but still pursuing goals by also being kind to yourself. So first tell me what things you are, what you are working on right now in your life. And then we'll go on to how you balance the both sides of those equation. Sure. Yeah, it, it is. It is an interesting, it's an interesting balance because yeah, it's, it's, it's not like don't work hard and don't, 
don't try and do things well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's like recognizing when it's like when you are missing out on things because you're, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's like, well, I can't, I can't do that. Um, you know, and instead of kind of saying, no, I, I can try that. That's, that's not going to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess like some, a couple of things that I've been, I don't know if I've even been like working on it, but things I've been like thinking about, um, in my life, um, are, I, I turned 30 in last March. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in the 30 club. Yeah. And, um, as part of that, I, I don't know why, I, I don't know why I just, I, it was, oh, it was, the, it was the anniversary, the hundredth anniversary of the national park service. Um, and so I thought maybe, maybe this year I can visit 30 different national parks. Um, and then I quickly realized that if I was to only go to national parks that I would need to just like take a sabbatical from work Uh, (laughs) and like only visit national parks. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I looked on, you know, I was looking at the national park service website and there are just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different national monuments, national parks, Mm. um, and national historic sites and, you know, just a whole different host of, of national park service sites. And so I thought maybe I can go to 30 different of these sites um, in in the next upcoming year and just kind of see see where it takes us. So we we started in California last year and mm-hmm. we went to Joshua Tree and Park and Cabrillo National Monument and um, we I won't bore you with like all the parks that we've been to, but we've mm-hmm. we've been um, up to Acadia, we've been to all of the wonderful Utah National Parks. Mm-hmm which are maybe the best ones. We didn't go to Capitol Reef, but, okay. um, you know, the Tetons, Yellowstone. But then we've also gotten to explore kind of being on the East Coast. There, are, there aren't as many national parks, but there are oh, really? tons of these historic sites. Oh, um, okay. So everything from, um, from the Minuteman National Battlefield Park, which mm-hmm. is where, like, the first battle of the Revolutionary War took wow. place and, Paul Revere did his midnight ride and this like little, this kind of little lesser known little things that I've kind of gotten a little bit nerdy about. Um, And just saying anyway, so it's been, it's been a kind of a fun way for us to think about kind of our free time and, um, and invite invite friends and family to sort of join in on our silly adventures with us. Mm -hmm. So, um, we are up to 20, we are up to 20 parks. Oh, and so wow. I need to go to 10, I need to go to 10 more between now and, in March. So it's, we're, we're closing in, we're closing in on That's it. Amazing, but, um, though. It's, <laughs> it's been really fun and it, and it gives, it's, it's given me just like a much greater perspective on, on like the United States and its mm-hmm. history and just all of the cool little pockets of, um, both like natural, natural beauty and also just sort of, you know, historic significance. And so anyways, that's what I, that's what I've been working on this year. That is so fun too. (laughs) That's great. It's been, it's been tons of fun. I would encourage anyone to just like, just do it. Just like, check it out. Mm -hmm. Go to findyourpark.org or whatever it is and just see what's nearby. And you'll be like, oh, I didn't know that such and such was here and was a national park site. You totally anyway. inspired me to do that. That's great because I haven't been to a lot of places. You said in Cal in California, even there's just so much to do. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Well, and you sort of, I think you were sort of the inspiration with your with your blog because you're like, oh. these are the things I want to do before I turn thirty. And then I was like, whoa, that's a cool way to think about it. Well, so I think I have you to thank for it. Well, guess who for forgot this. about our list. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was I was thinking that the other day I'm like, oh wait, I forgot about my list. <laughs> so um I'm gonna get back on that, but I think I'll I'll think it's yeah. better to almost focus on one thing like that. That's really fun. So how it's been a lot it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um how do you balance then? How do you balance reaching for huge goals but also being true to yourself? Um well I think I don't know. There are a lot, a lot of different, a lot of different um, things involved with it. But I, I think the first thing that I'd like to say is that, in a weird way, learning actually how to how to be more like resilient and how to um, and like learning more about perseverance mm-hmm. um, has 
and and sort of just like day in day out hard work hmm. has been probably the biggest um antidote to my perfectionism um oh wow and so it it sounds weird i i think that's cool um to if think about. if i just kind of sit down and i and i work a little bit every day on on a project or on you know something that i'm interested in it it will kind of accumulate into something into something bigger hmm. um it, and and I think as a as a perfectionist, I I just really used to think that if I didn't do something well immediately, I just was a failure and I shouldn't do it. I uh-huh. and I should just give up. Um, yeah. And so as a result, I think I I didn't really uh-huh. ever learn how to work hard um, or to work well. Oh yeah. I was sort of like in school. I would sort of procrastinate assignments and. Um, sort of be like, oh, well, I'm so busy. I don't have time to focus on this any one thing in particular. And then I would wait to the last minute, finish my assignments really, you know, oh, no, i got to do this. I only have a little bit of time, out of time. Mm-hmm. And I would turn it in. I would be sort of disappointed in myself and think, oh, well, I could have done that better, but oh, well. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would just sort of like keep that, you know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't fail. And so it would be like, okay, well, I was, I guess I was fine. And, um, it was just, it was like such a stressful way to, to be. And, um, so I think in the, in, in the past, in the past few years, I've, you know, having, having a job that like I go to every single day mm-hmm. has, has helped, <laughs> yeah. um, has, has helped me just think about, okay, well I do this today and I can, I can accomplish this and this and, um, it, you know, it's just, it's helped me really um just just kind of see the accumulation of really small decisions every day into something that is more habitual um and that and that changes my ability to to think about myself and to think about um you know other other kinds of um situations and my ability to respond to them um so it's i i used to sort of think like Oh no, like, you know, I was like, maybe I'll join a cross country team. And then I, you know, went on one run and was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I can't do it. You know, (laughs) it's like, oh my gosh. And to freak out and to absolutely just shut down and, and just think like, I can't, I can't do that. And so I, I shouldn't even try rather than say, well, maybe I should, you know, maybe I need to work a little bit at this in in order to like run a few miles. (laughs) You know, I just, it's so silly, but, um, being able to just sort of, to sort of at the outset of a particular situation or to say, I need you to, you know, I need to do this thing by this date or, you know, someone wants me to run a 5k with them, um, or will you sing a solo in church? Will you, you know, can you tackle this, um, you know, new computer program to manage our artwork Mm -hmm. um if if i'm always thinking about it as sort of like oh my gosh i can't do that Hmm. because i'm not going to be good at it immediately then i'm not gonna i'm not ever gonna you know do anything or get very far but if it's sort of if i can sort of at the outset say i can probably do that and it will probably involve a little bit of work or a lot of work um and to just commit myself to doing a little a little bit every day or a little bit along the way um you know, it's just, oh, wow, wouldn't you know it? If you run a little bit every day, you can run a 5K. Yes. <laughs> like, it's okay. And you're not like but... the superstar athlete of the world, but you can run it and feel good. Um, so, yeah, that's mm-hmm. probably the, the biggest thing. Um, I really love that. That's such a yeah, good and, and that's, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't I mean, it's, it's a way, I guess, of thinking about it. And the other thing that I think is, has helped me is to think about sometimes try and um, not always think about um, this is maybe like the should, you know, I should Mm -hmm. do this or I should do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Oh, I should, I should be, I should eat super healthy and I should, you know, exercise to, to look great. Um, If I can think about certain kinds of choices that I'm making, um, whether it is to, um, to exercise or to eat well, if I can think about it um, from a perspective of sort of, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about 
you know, how can I, how can I waste less in, Mm. in my day-to-day life? How can I, you know, maybe, how can I not waste gas? Oh, maybe I could walk to the grocery store and that's some exercise. And, or if I can think about how to, um, do things that will benefit others or kind of the environment in, in ways, then it's not like I'm, I don't have, then there's the, the pressure is released for me to do the thing perfectly or to do it so that I become perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like, no, this is something that you can do for the, for the sake of somebody else oh, um, yeah. or, you know, for the sake of not, not, I don't know, not wasting or not, um, exploiting anybody mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense that's sort of a tangent but no I, um, like, I like that slant on it too this is so it, it, I think I think perfectionism becomes this hyper focus on self mm-hmm. and and things that I can do where that are that that kind of draw me out of that mm-hmm. where you know like I really love to do yoga um and it helps me decompress um but it's like the fitness, the fitness aspect of it is sort of a byproduct um, I see of saying. like the activity itself. Mm-hmm. And I go because, you know, my friends are there and so I get to see them and it's really close by so I don't have to drive. And, um, you know, if, if, if I can, if it can become these sorts of little, little accumulations, um, then I'm, then it sort of is not like I have to go to the gym so that I can be like super fit. Um, which isn't, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, but it's, for me, it's, it's just helpful to think about it as, um, as something that's a little bit outside of myself. Um, that's, uh, I don't know, contributing to something, something else. I don't know. Contributing to something greater than just a life built on shoulds, you know, and trying to meet expectations that are placed on you. I think that's a really great way to look at it. Really great, Catherine. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> so I like to end the interviews okay. with a question about the life lessons that you think you have gleaned from your experiences. Ooh. So what have you learned <laughs> from yourself um, or what have you learned the past few years? Yeah. Um, for the most part, I think I just, I wish that I had, I had spent less time feeling, feeling inadequate and feeling self-conscious. Um mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, this this idea that everyone A is thinking about me and B thinking really critically about me mm-hmm. all the time is just sort of ludicrous. And mm-hmm. um I just I, I just feel like I, I wasted a lot of time and energy um kind of deciding not to decide not to pursue things or participate in things, um, because I was insecure about, about myself. And mm-hmm. um like in actuality, the only person who's thinking that critically about myself is me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I just, yeah, I've, I've learned that kind of choosing to not think so much about myself or try not to, <laughs> um, has, has, has been, has been a lot more freeing. And I, I, I think I've definitely learned, um, how to engage with the world without so much fear. Um, and I did when I was, you know, younger. Catherine, this was such a great interview. Thank you very much. Well, of course. Thank you, Monica. I'm just, I'm so impressed with all that you guys, that you, that you and your family are sort of um, exploring and um, all the, the questions that you're really honest about. And yeah, you've, you've always, you've given me so much to think about kind of in your writing and, um, yeah, and in just the the things that you're choosing to do too. So it's it's a huge encouragement. Um, Thanks, so yeah, Catherine. Thank We're helping each other. For yeah, sure. yeah. Isn't Catherine great? That last bit where she shares about being a people pleaser and her antidote to perfectionism hit me right in the gut. I definitely see myself in both of those. I wish we had more time to share some of our crazy antics from growing up, but it'll have to be off the air if you know me, ask about them. Thanks again, Catherine, for being on the show. Let's turn to today's highlight for our Do Something series. I had an email sent my way from a woman named Natalie. She shared similar struggles that we have both faced and how she is learning to move past them. 
I don't want to share more about the specifics of that, obviously, but it just helps, right? It just helps to know that you are not the only one dealing with something. And that email did that for me. So thank you so much, Natalie. I would love to highlight more of you and what you are doing to face big and small fears. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I've included links in the show notes for you to learn more about this series, which is short for Do Something That Scares You. I've also included ways for you to contact me with your own Do Something or to even nominate someone else. You can find me at About Progress almost everywhere and include the hashtag About Progress Podcast and show me what you are up to while listening like my friend Heidi Adams from Make Learn Go, who shared that she listened to one of my first podcasts while snuggling with her baby. Thank you again for being here, for sharing this podcast with others, for subscribing and leaving reviews on iTunes. It really helps a lot to get this podcast out there to more people who can benefit from this conversation. Next Wednesday, I have an interview with Casey Sogard. I hope you will listen in and until then, Take care of yourself.